fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 235 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a wonderful guest. He is the host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, as well as a contributor at thefalcoholic.com, Aaron Freeman at Falcfans. Aaron, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, Kevin. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. It's definitely better after the Calais Campbell signing. Uh, I was, you know... I didn't think we could fill the entire evening with Scotty Miller talk. Uh, I think that would have been a little aggressive. Um, but with Calais Campbell and Scotty Miller, that's definitely uh, some some stuff to get us started. Uh, but haven't had you on since a lot of the biggest moves have come in. So we definitely have a lot of ground to cover and just want to sort of get your thoughts on on where uh, the team, where you think the team is at, how, how you feel about the moves. I think you're in pretty good spirits, especially for you. Uh, <laughs> so I know so That's someone fair. tweeted at me. It was like it's gonna be positive, right? It's like, well, I mean, I'm gonna be positive. I can't speak for Aaron, you know, ever with that. But uh, I think uh, I think Aaron is is pretty happy, guys. But we'll definitely get his takes tonight. Uh, welcome in everyone uh, to the chat, everyone listening to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Remember to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Leave that five star review. If you're listening to the podcast audio on the new Dirty Birds and Brews podcast feed, appreciate everyone for following us over there. Um, yeah, let's let's jump right in uh, with the most important signing, Scotty Miller. No, <laughs> so let's talk about no 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 shade intended towards Scotty Miller. That that one is actually probably more interesting than people think. But let's let's of course start with Clay's Campbell. It's the big name. We've been sort of waiting to see since he visited the team last week. There was the 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 report that it did go pretty well uh the initial visit so that was encouraging but personally i thought when he left atlanta and then it was reported that he was going to take like five or six more visits that i i was sort of like he's he's not going to sign with atlanta like i'm i'm like you know happy that he at least visited that made me feel good but i wasn't really expecting him to sign here and then we get the news of course that he actually blew off you know to some extent the bills and jets who both wanted to have him in for visits this week uh, and of course, also spurned the Lions, Ravens, and Jaguars, uh, who were trying to bring him in as well, uh, due to a, I guess, an impassioned call from uh, Arthur Blank, among others, per- perhaps, getting him to seal the deal early. So that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, how do you feel right off the top, uh, hearing about that, the Clay's Campbell signing today? Yeah, I, I was of a similar mind, Kevin, where I, I thought he'd take a couple of visits, maybe before the draft, we might get sort of where his answer you know he, he doesn't have to he's, he's in no rush to, to pick his destination it's not like you know people were gonna be like well we're not gonna sign Calais Campbell you know like so I, I figured it was a couple of weeks and, and thus you know the more time went by the less chance it was but it, it was nice to kind of hear you know Arthur Blank getting back to his like original roots as the owner where he would basically they would like fly free agents in back in the day and he would like take them out to like a fancy steak dinner and wine and dine them and buy flowers for the wife and a mink coat and all that stuff. And like, he would always like seal the deal. So like for the first couple of years, I remember like that was what happened with like Rod Coleman and Michael Turner and all those guys like back in the day that like the Falcons were able to basically a guy would visit Atlanta and they would never leave Atlanta because Arthur Blank would sort of seal the deal. And we, we just really haven't gotten that type of signing in a long time. So it was kind of refreshing to be like, Oh, this, this nostalgia, it feels really good. Uh, with Arthur Blank kind of sealing the deal on this Calais Campbell thing with that 40-minute phone call 
uh, and, and sort of, you know, selling seemingly the community aspect and, you know, Calais Campbell being a Walter Payton man of the year. But obviously, you know, the thing that gets us excited is what Calais Campbell is going to bring on the football field. And I think he's going to be a very good uh, player for the Atlanta Falcons. And I think with him, along with David Onyemata and Caden Ellis, you know, bringing back Lorenzo Carter, the expectations that Arnold Epichetti is going to make a jump. And of course, Grady Jarrett being Grady Jarrett. And of course, the likelihood, I'm sure Kevin and you and I might disagree on where the Falcons might take up another pass rusher, whether it's round one, round two, round three. But I think we both would agree that they're going to take another pass rusher pretty high in the draft. And, you know, that's a pretty solid, you know, seven, eight-man group if you throw Taquan Graham in the mix as well. So that's a really strong rotation that we just really haven't seen in Atlanta for probably ever. You know, I I think I said on Lockdown Falcons uh, on tonight's episode, um, you know, this is the potentially the best pass rush that we've seen in Atlanta in 20 years. It's been 20 years uh, since 2004 since the Falcons had 40 or more sacks in the season. And I feel really good that Elias Campbell – in addition to, you know, a rookie may be the thing that pushes us over the top to get to a league average pass rush, which is, you know, an incredible <laughs> achievement for the Atlanta that, Falcons. That's like an elite pass rush anywhere else. Like if we get to league average here, it's probably Super Bowl season because of how <laughs> of how much this team has just struggled to generate sacks. I mean, some years they've been better in terms of pressure generation and the sacks haven't come, but and then they did have that one year where Vic just happened to have like 15 and a half sacks without actually having that many pressures, which was sort of the opposite. Um, that should have been a big, big red flag for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, man, Vic Beasley just catching strays out of nowhere on this program. I'm so sorry, Vic. He, th- <laughs> he thought it was safe finally to come back and start watching this again. But um, it, Clay's Campbell is such an interesting one. And um, there were, there were some great uh, pieces out today. Um I'm blanking on the name. I think it was Wetzel, uh, his column, uh, mm-hmm. talking about just like, oh, this is making sort of my my ears perk up because no one was really considering Atlanta as like a serious contender at all. And like Calais Campbell doesn't necessarily make them one, but the fact that he chose to go there is notable um, because you look at the other teams he was visiting you know, the Lions are probably the most trendy, like, new playoff team pick in the NFC. The Jets, I mean, I don't blame him for not going to the Jets. That I wouldn't touch that team with a 10-foot pole, even though that defense is actually pretty good. Uh, but then the Bills, it's like, oh, well, how's Atlanta going to compete with the Bills? You know, I mean, that team is basically an AFC contender every single year. And then you got just like, oh, the, the Falcons are involved? Like, and that he, that was the first team that he visited? That's odd. Um so it does make me feel a little better about him, you know, buying into that at least he's hopeful that this team is going to do something this year. I mean, I think if he's not coming here to be part of a rebuild, like this is no longer a rebuild team. Like this is a team that is trying to win this year. I hope that's obvious to everyone. It doesn't mean they're going to go all in. That doesn't seem to be their plan at all. And I'm sure we'll get into that when we get into more of the free agency stuff. But it's just interesting. Um, it's noteworthy, I think, that he chose to come here. I think it, it should inspire the fans a little bit that that a, a you know i wouldn't necessarily call him a premier free agent but it, it his signing here means more than his actual like contract like it's probably a one-year six million dollar deal something like that um so it's not like a top-end free agent sort of contract but who he is and and sort of 
the the fact that he was getting all of this interest from all these playoff teams and he chose to come to Atlanta. That is notable and hopefully portends that this team really will uh, have a bounce back year and not a D minus off season like football outsiders uh, seems to be suggesting. So <laughs> man, they're going to catch, they're going to catch a lot from me on that. Uh, I, I'm yeah, getting Falcon the receipts. Have a long yeah. memory. Yes. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's going to take very long to cash that one in, but uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for after the draft when it mysteriously changes to a B plus uh, with, with just an edit there. But um I'm interested in where you think Calais is going to play mostly because I, I guess I'm sort of seeing – I mean, he's going to play on the inside and outside. Obviously, that's what he's always done. But I'm wondering if it's more like base end five tech stuff because the Falcons really don't have that right now, like a, a big run defending edge. Um, or if you think it's going to be more interior focused uh, pass rushing for him. Yeah, I think we'll probably see more base end stuff, right? Um I feel like when you look at him versus the other guys that the Falcons have, they don't really have that big end, right? Like we we all went into the offseason thinking, oh, we'll go out there and we'll sign Marcus Davenport and we'll sign, you know, whoever else, Jadavion Clowney, whoever else was at the top of the list, all these big ends. And then they went and re-signed Lorenzo Carter. And then they went and just basically got pure defensive tackles like David Anyamata. Um, and you know, bringing Eddie Goldman back and, you know, you don't really have that piece. And so I think Campbell's value is that he can kick outside. Like I think his most productive game last year uh, from a pressure standpoint was against the Patriots where he had like six pressures in that game. And that was also the game where I think he spent the most snaps playing as a, as an edge rusher going up against like Trent Brown and Isaiah Wynn. But of course in that game, he also um, you know, lined up plenty of times on the interior or whatnot. So I think you'll probably see a lot of base end when the Falcons play 4-3, obviously more that 3-4 defensive end uh, when the Falcons are, are sort of playing that look. Uh, and then, of course, the versatility to kind of kick inside, you know, when they have a four-man front or a three-man front. Um, I think that's the beautiful thing about Calais Campbell is that, you know, a man that's that large can pretty much line up wherever he wants, you know, <laughs> it's the the joke of like, you know, you know, what, where does the 800 pound gorilla sit? And it's like, you know, where does the 300 pound Calais Campbell sit? Like wherever he wants, like he can go wherever he, he lines up. And I, I think that's kind of the vision for him. And I do think we'll probably see a lot of him playing D though. Yeah. That, that's sort of my take as well is that he'll definitely factor in as a rotational pass rusher on the inside. Um, and it, it'll depend, I think, also on the opponent, of course. Like, if they're playing a really pass-heavy team, he's probably just not going to have to play base end as much because they're going to be a nickel all the time. But um, I do think that that's probably where he's going to play the majority of his snaps. And part of that's because of the depth that the Falcons have assembled on the interior that it's not just Grady Jarrett, whereas last year, Clayus Campbell would have been, like, the second-best defensive lineman on the entire team. And maybe you could make that argument that he actually still is given his prowess as a run defender. I mean, I think he graded out as still like a, I mean, one of the best, most elite run defending five techs in the NFL still. So if you value that highly, which I mean, I think it deserves respect, um, then maybe he still is <laughs> like the second or third best defensive lineman on the team. But you've got Grady Jarrett, you've got David Onyemata. If Eddie Goldman does play, which I mean, I, I think we should probably, I don't know what to think about that. I mean, I, I think that the fact that he's wanted, he asked to be reinstated, should 
lead us to believe that he's gonna play but i mean i don't know but you, you don't know <laughs> if you get to july he gets yeah. that georgia heat and he's like yeah. you know what i'm good i'm good i think that i think they would be pretty upset if that happened again uh but i mean i certainly would be just eddie goldman the biggest tease uh on the defensive line perhaps but like every single spot has gotten better like i mean great Jarrett's obviously great so no worries there but like going from three games of Ant- of anthony rush and timmy horn to Eddie Goldman, who, even if he's not 100% Eddie Goldman, is probably going to be better than what we had last year. Anyamada, Calais Campbell. Um, and then you have, hopefully, better seasons from Epicadium Malone, which it seems like the Falcons are really sort of depending on those guys to step up. And they haven't really made any major edge additions other than than Campbell. Um, so it seems to... But it's like every spot on the interior other than Grady Jarrett's has gotten an upgrade. And there's... Like, we're looking at it we're, now where, like, Taquan Graham, who was a good player in his own right, is going to be, like, the second guy off the bench now. Like, which is probably perfect for him, um, <laughs> honestly. I mean, maybe he, he... I don't think he would be a bad starter either. But it's like, we went into the offseason with, with, with expecting Taquan Graham to be a starter because they didn't have anybody else. And now... He might be the second guy off the bench. So just the depth has improved so drastically on the defensive interior that I think it 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 portends really good things because you look at last year in particular and it's like Vincent Taylor got hurt in camp and then it was like, well, we're screwed. You know, <laughs> we don't have anybody else to rush the faster on the inside. So that was that was our one shot because we have no money. Uh, so there we are. Um, and now it's like, you know, God forbid one of these guys does have to miss time we shouldn't see a huge drop off. Like there shouldn't be like, Oh, well now we don't have anyone to rush the passer. So Grady Jarrett plays 75% of the snaps. Let's go. Um, which is a disservice to him. Uh, also that that he's not gonna be playing at his best when he's having to play that many snaps. So, um, it's really exciting to, to see finally this defensive line get to hopefully a level that, especially the interior that, that we've wanted it to be for so long. Um, but also with Ryan Nielsen here, I think the door is open for them to take, Maybe a more projecty edge rusher. I mean, I wouldn't be upset. Obviously, they took someone that's a little more polished either. But maybe we actually could have faith that if they take more of a projecty guy, whether that's at eight, forty-four, seventy-three, I think seventy-five, seventy-five. Um, Something. I like should. That. Well, I did a trade. Spoiler alert! And then I got like a, another pick in the seventies. So that was throwing me off. But um, so it's like. I, I feel pretty confident that like they're going to draft an edge and we're going to talk about that today too, I'm sure. Uh, but maybe we can actually have confidence that this guy could develop into something instead of just being like painfully mediocre uh, for several years before eventually getting a fifth year option for lots of money. And then, um, you know, disappearing into the sunset. So Vic Beasley again, sorry, brother. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, anything else on, on the Calais defensive line front before we, we give Scotty Miller his, his shine? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I think the point you, you brought up, like we went into the offseason thinking Taquan Graham would probably be like the third or fourth guy in the rotation. That's kind of, you know, had he been healthy, that's probably where he would have been atop the rotation. And now he's probably going to be like the seventh or eighth guy. And I think that's a testament to the depth and the rotation that the Falcons have built up, that was kind of a, a a big thing that the Saints had when Nielsen was there, where they would just basically rotate whoever they needed to keep guys fresh. And that's something I think, particularly for players like Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata and Calais Campbell that are on the older side, that's what you want to have. Um, and so, like, I, I do feel like 
you know, you're going to see, you know, a, a pretty strong rotation and and mixing and matching and all sorts of guys in and out of the lineup on Sunday. Uh, and, and the Falcons can kind of play however they want to play. And I think that's kind of been the goal that they're doing. And I think Calais Campbell is a big part of that. And we'll, we'll obviously see what they do in the draft and sort of what type of player, but wouldn't shock me at all if they walked away with this draft with, with two or three additions along the front, um, you know, to continue to bolster that unit just because, you know, Campbell is just kind of a one-year rental, a great guy to come in, play, and you don't necessarily need your rookies to have to hit the ground running necessarily. Uh, and then you just sort of, you know, let him go off on his, you know, farewell tour or whatever he does next year. And th- then you're ready to plug and play with some of these young guys that, you know, got a year of seasoning and, and maybe ready to step up in 2024 and, and pick up where this unit left off. So I, I really like the plan, assuming that, you know, I say that now and then, you know, come draft night, I'll be like, I hate the plate that the Falcons make if they, you know, if they take Lucas Van Ness at eight, I, I will be a little lukewarmer. Yes. On, on this whole strategy, but you yes. know, we'll see how that goes. Yes, I think we see eye to eye there, but we'll definitely we'll definitely get to Lucas Van Ness at Trump at some point tonight. But uh yeah, um Scotty Miller deserves some shine. I think this is one that you were clamoring for, if I remember co- correctly. I don't know if you were like if it was ironic clamoring or like sincere. Maybe it was a little of both. Um but yeah, I mean uh get it's the speedster the fans have been looking for. I think Scotty Miller is a bit underrated. He did have a pretty good season Back in 2020, unfortunately dealt with some injuries, and then Tampa Bay in 2022 was sort of a disaster zone on offense. Um, and, I mean, to be fair, also, like, very deep receiving room in Tampa Bay, too, that, you know, was he really going to get a lot of snaps behind Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Julio Jones? Like, probably that was not going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, what, what do you think about the Scotty Miller signing? Do you expect him to, to factor in in, like, a major way, or is this more of, like, a reserve signing? Yeah, well, on on the Bucks depth note, I ran across Tyron Johnson playing for like some other team, like the Jets or something like that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, he's not on the Bucks anymore," and he was like a third round <laughs> pick or something like that. That's how deep they were. So yeah, uh, look, I, I I wanted Scotty Miller because I wanted the Falcons to have some real speed, right? And um, you know, Alameda Zacchaeus, Demir Jer- jo- Bur- Demir Jones, Demir Bird. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm confusing Demir Bird with Julio yeah. Jones, uh, of course. Easy Happens to all of us, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, th- you know, those guys have speed. But, like, I feel like Scotty Miller has, like, re- like real – like, he's running away from guys type of speed, right? Like, those guys are getting on top of guys and staying on top of guys. But, like, I, I was watching film today, and I'm watching Scotty Miller just, like, pull away from guys once he gets on top of them. And, like, that to me is is the type of speed I want to see this team add more of. And I agree with you. Like, I think he can do a lot of different things. He can be that deep threat on the outside. I think we'll probably see him get a little bit more run in the slot here in Atlanta than he did in Tampa Bay. Obviously, they had guys like Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. So he was never really featured in that role. So I do feel like there's some untapped potential for him there as a slot receiver filling in those shoes of Alameda Zacchaeus. But he kind of, to me, combines the skill set of Alameda Zacchaeus and Demir Bird, and then gives you a little bit more. You can be uh, creative with how you use them. We could see more like end arounds and reverses and screen passes um, in this offense. Just easy plays to to get him the football and just let him create after the catch. And I I think because of this that extra gear that he has that we just haven't had in Atlanta for you know a couple of years now, like that's a that's a player 
that again i know a lot of people will kind of look at this and be like yeah you only had 13 catches or whatever the numbers were last year and not think much of this but you know there's there's you know it's a low risk to me high reward type of signing for the atlanta falcons where they're getting uh, to me a, a pretty good player that can add a different element to this offense this upcoming season uh and again it doesn't stop the falcons from continue to, to add more speed and more talent at the receiver position. I'm hoping that we'll, this will not be enough speed for the Falcons and they won't go back down the A.T. Perry rabbit hole and just get another you know power forward here at the receiver position now with Matt Collins. I'm hoping we get another draft pick that's more Scotty Miller than he is Matt Collins. That's, that's just my personal preference. Do you know Cedric Tillman? I like Cedric Tillman, but he, he just he seems like Brian Edwards. And, like, I've been down this road before. Like, <laughs> I feel like I've seen that movie before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does seem a little redundant, but Arthur Smith does love his giant receivers. He does. Um, he does. So, well, we'll see. You know, maybe maybe more of, like, an Andre Yosevis sort of thing later, uh, where that guy – where he also has 4 for one speed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, lots, of, lots of ways to get that speed in the building. But uh, – yeah, I do like the Scotty Miller signing. I think that right now he's the wide receiver three um, on the depth chart and will continue to be that unless they were to make some other significant signing there. Um, you know, I don't think it's like the only move they're going to make at receiver. I mean, it's definitely not the only move they're going to make because I think they only have like six receivers, seven receivers on the roster like at all, yeah. which is for those that don't know, a lot of teams carry like 12 receivers into training camp. The Falcons have like seven so they're going to add a lot of undrafted receivers and probably another veteran and probably draft picks. So um, it's going to happen. So don't, you know, don't be surprised when we get a lot more bodies in the receiving room. But um, I do like him. Uh, you know, I, I got the most important information of all, which is can he run block? And the answer is actually he's a pretty good run blocker. Like he's little bit of average to above average run blocker, which for a guy who's 5'9", 175, I think is equivalent to being like a good or better run blocker. So, um, you know, props there. Like he's not a negative as a run blocker, um, which is probably really important to Arthur Smith. That's probably what sealed the deal. So um, I, I, and again, it's probably a very minimal contract, minimal amount of money involved um, for a guy that, you know, he's going to play some outside, probably going to play some in the slot. We've talked about it before. The Falcons don't really use a slot receiver super often, but when they do, it's nice to have someone that's good. Um, I just, I when people keep you know tweeting at me saying, "Oh, are they going to consider like Jackson Smith and Jigba or or Josh Downs?" It's like, well, I don't think they're going to take a slot receiver like that early because um, they only use them about twenty five percent of the time. But someone like uh, Scotty Miller, who's going to play outside some and gonna and can play the slot without costing a lot of money. Sure, yeah, that that could be a nice player to have in the slot. And then, you know, other guys like a Trey Palmer, uh, Trey Tucker, you know, a lot of Trey's, uh, Tank Dell, you know, guys that, like, have lined up on the outside. I mean, Tank Dell, I don't know if that's going to work in the NFL, but um, can do a little bit of both then, you know, that's fine too. But I, I don't – I would caution people to, to not try to pencil in, like, pure slot options for the Falcons, especially, like, on day two or earlier because I just – they just don't use the position that much. Uh, to justify that type of draft investment. Um, now I say that, and they're probably going to take like you know Josh Downs uh, in the second round or something like that. But um, you know, they could also take Darnell Washington and just get 15 tight ends in here. So anything's on the table, honestly, with this team. But 
<laughs> I was just picturing Darnell Washington playing outside wide receiver because that is that is Arthur Smith's wet dream. Yes. And and then you get John Fitzpatrick in there too. So everyone's like every single player is minimum six four or whatever. <laughs> Drake London, Mac Hollins, John Fitzpatrick, uh, Kyle Pitts, and Darnell Washington. That's all five skill positions at six four or above. So uh just beautiful beautiful chaos out there but uh yeah no i i I like the signing i think it's a pretty good one um probably not going to be a lot of money and i think the upside is pretty pretty good um considering so um yeah yeah. moving on to we could talk about uh the rest of falcons free agency because i haven't really had a chance to get your takes on it and i know uh, Jason Gaines wants to lead us off here with his donation. Thank you, Jason, with the two dollars. He says, "Aaron, have you went ahead and bought that top floor top floor penthouse on uh, McGarry Island yet?" Uh- <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm looking. I got a real estate agent. You know, we're we're looking at a couple of places. Uh, you know, now that I'm gonna be stuck here for another three years, I might as well, you know, buy a nice little place and and, and see what you know, settle in a little bit rather than looking on the horizon, looking for that boat to come and rescue me off this island. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, thanks Jason. That, that was a good one. Uh, he says he's surprised you haven't started a Teespring store selling McGarry Island merch so far, but that's a good idea well, though. Somebody that's should. Actually, yeah. yeah, that is actually a good idea. So <laughs> it's in the works. It's I'll, in the works. I'll, I'll cut you 10% Jason <laughs> for the idea. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could start with McGarry because that I do agree with Jason that that was a pretty good value contract, just eleven and a half million per. The Falcons do have like an out after two years, also, um, and surprisingly low amount, right? Uh, considering that Spotrac had his projected value at seventeen point seven, the uh, franchise tag would have been eighteen point two, and the fifth year option would have even been more; it would have been over thirteen million. So the fact that they were able to get him, I mean, it looks like a stroke of genius that they chose not to tag him or not to give him the fifth year option. Then he has a good season and then they re-sign him for less than the fifth year option anyway. I mean, I, I don't know how they threaded the needle to do that exactly. I don't, I'm not sure if his market was cooler than expected. I, I have a hard time believing that considering that Jawan Taylor got 20 million, <laughs> but um, what do you, what do you think about the McCary signing and everything that I just uh, read off in a stream of consciousness? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a good move, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know when you saw those early contracts with Jawan Taylor and Mike McGlinchey, you were like, "Wow, okay, all right." You know, someone's gonna come along and, and scoop up Caleb McGarry for like fifteen or at least fifteen, right? Like, even yeah. if he's not in in the you know what was it seventeen and a half for McGlinchey and twenty for Jawan Taylor, you know, and so you're like. Oh, well, I guess Caleb McGarry's gone. So I guess we're we're drafting. You know, there was a nice what twenty four hours where it was like, okay, are we going to draft Broderick Jones? Are we going to draft Harris Johnson Jr. <laughs> yep. uh, Peter Skaronsky, all that stuff. And then you know they came in with that contract, and you're like, okay, all right. You know, clearly, you know, we, we thought the Falcons would want to keep Caleb McGarry, but only at the right price. And the question was, what was that price for Caleb McGarry? And apparently, you know, he wanted to stick around in Atlanta rather than again as. I'm assuming like you, Kevin, probably was a better offer out there than yeah. the one he got from the Falcons. Um, and so, you know, the fact that the Falcons and, and him were able to come to accord, you know, I ain't complaining about it. So uh, a really solid deal. This is kind of the ideal contract that I think the Falcons were able to get him on, you know, a, a relatively lower three-year deal that basically if they wanted to, they could get out, it, out of after a year. But 
in all likelihood, they'll probably keep him for two years. And that gives him, you know, a couple of years to kind of potentially groom his replacement. Um, you know, and so I, I think it's basically it checked all the boxes I wanted to have checked. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, they also gave Lindstrom that extension um, so that that right side is locked up uh, for at least, I mean, as many years as they want, basically, you know, two plus years if they want it to be, which is great. And McGarry is a little bit older. I mean, I think he's going to be 28 this year. So he was an older rookie, but that's still not old for an offensive lineman at all. So um, they could absolutely, like, if I think McGarry has the potential to continue to grow as a pass, as a pass blocker, that would be great for him and for the Falcons, obviously. Um, but even if he just continues to be sort of an average pass blocker and an elite run blocker, I think they'll be pretty happy with him at that number. And like you said, it, it eliminates what would have been a glaring need in the draft if they didn't re-sign him. They also brought back uh, Jermaine Effetti, who was their swing tackle last year, didn't have to play <laughs> at all, basically. Um, but I think, you know, some people uh, out there on the internet thought that Jermaine Effetti was going to be the starting right tackle uh, going into, tri- you know, going into the season. I, I don't know who those people would have been. Uh, probably not anyone on this show, but... <laughs> you know some of us miss guys occasionally um but once or twice once or twice yeah but i mean i do i do like the effetti resigning too so i think they're they're more or less like settled there for now i think long term you know you're looking at a potential jake matthews successor so i i still do think that offensive tackle with the ability to play guard would be in play at eight depending on how the board falls but it definitely isn't number one like it would have been if McGarry didn't come back. Um, but I still like Paris Johnson Jr. and Skaronsky, so I'm still interested in them over some players like Lucas Van Ness, for instance. But um, not as big of a need as it would have been, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other – I mean, there were a ton of moves. Uh, any any ones that you wanted to touch on that you, that you really liked? Uh, I know you mentioned, like, Ellis and Jesse Bates, of course. But, yeah, I mean, feel free to, to – Talk about any of the ones that you were a big fan of. Yeah, you know, I, I like the Jonu Smith move. Um, I, I think similar to kind of what we were just talking about with Scotty Miller, you get kind of a versatile player. You can have him play in line as a, a tight end. You can split him out wide. You can line him up in the backfield. You can use him as a fullback. You, you can hand the ball off to him as a running back. And, you know, there wasn't a big issue last year, but I remember, you know, in 2021, everybody was like, oh, Arthur Smith loves his positionless players. And then I didn't really carry through to the next year. And it's like, okay, okay, we're back to, you know, Arthur Smith loving his positionless players uh, with the John U. Smith edition. And, you know, obviously the the three big additions on the defense at all three levels with David Onyemata, Caden Ellis, Jesse Bates, I think all of those moves are going to be significant upgrades to what the Falcons had at those spots uh, a year ago. No offense to Jalen Hawkins and Rashawn Evans and Michael Walker and no offense to Taquan Graham and Abdullah Anderson, but I think you're getting significantly better. And I thought Nate Tice of the athletic podcast uh, said it nicely when he was talking specifically about David Onyemata, but I think the the same rules would apply to all three of these guys. Uh, But he basically said, you know, the Falcons had a whole bunch of like D and D minus players on defense last year. And, on Yamada in this case was like a B plus. And I think, you know, Jesse Bates is somewhere like an A, A minus. And, you know, Caden Ellis is a solid B, arguably a B plus when you factor in the pass rushing ability. And so I think in all three of those cases, the Falcons have made major upgrades. And 
I'm looking forward to see this defense kind of gel together. Like I'm not expecting them to put their best foot forward in 23, but I think, you know, with another with year two, that's kind of where, you know, you, you see a lot of these teams that go out there and, and spend in free agency. It kind of gels together for them um, in, in that second year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this defense can grow into with some of these pieces that we've added this offseason, including Calais Campbell, uh, in, a, in a couple of years. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it just it, it raises the floor of the average player on the defense just so much, um, just just a ton. Like, uh, And I think that will lead to the floor of the defense being a lot higher. And there's still areas of weakness, right, like, you know, how healthy is is Casey Hayward? Is he going to be able to, to last through a whole season at age 34? Can he be that quarterback too? Um, you know, I know you and I talked about would he be cut even going into free agency, and he was not. So at least he seems to be, at least for now, part of their plans. Uh, cornerback could be a, a spot to target at eight um, or on day two because this is a very deep corner class. Same thing with edge. Um, and then... Yeah, I mean, I, I really do like the Caden Ellis one. I think that one's sort of underrated. Um, and contrary to what some people seem to think, I, I think he's going to play mostly off ball. Um, he will rush sometimes, but uh, Ellis had his best games off ball. He started the year as like a traditional sort of outside linebacker, but uh, he had to start he had to start playing inside at both Mike and Will throughout the season and actually had his best games, four of his best five games, according to PFF, playing either Mike or Will. So I think that's probably where he's going to play. Not the best, like, coverage linebacker. I mean, he's he's fine um, mm-hmm. as a coverage linebacker. He's not a plus there. Uh, but in terms of run defense, really good. Pass rush, one of the best, um, certainly, from for an off-ball linebacker. And if this is anything like... Dennis Allen's Saints defense, the Falcons under Ryan Nielsen will be blitzing the linebackers as much as they can. <laughs> I mean, they, they lo- Dennis Allen loved to do it. Um, Troy Anderson, you would think with his athleticism, would be able to do it. Caden uh, Ellis has done it to the point where he could even r- line up off the edge and rush sometimes. Uh, and, you know, R- Rashawn Evans, who the team is apparently working to re-sign, also a very effective blitzer at times uh I do think that he's going to be signed for people that are wondering to be more of like the third linebacker not a starter um but again that's just another sign that's sort of like raising the floor whereas before would have been you know I don't know if Michael Walker's gonna make the roster we don't really know if this new coaching staff is a fan of him or not Dean Pease certainly seemed to be out on Michael Walker at the end of last season but um it's it's really interesting to look at sort of where the defense is expected to be now. And I think last year we went in with like, well, it's probably the worst, you know, talent wise defense in the NFL. They have spent the fewest cap space of any team on this defense. So the expectations are very low. That's not going to be the case anymore. I mean, I don't think any of us rational fans are expecting like great things, but honestly, average would have been enough for this team to win a lot more games last year, because despite all of the struggles, uh, they were in one score games all the time uh, last year. They didn't win as many of them, obviously, uh, compared to the previous year. But just just a small upgrade on defense could be enough for this team to, to win a couple more games. And that could be the difference between them winning a bad NFC South or not, <laughs> considering the, the rest of this division. So, Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I don't even know if they need to be average. Like, they, they can be the 22nd best defense 
And that's a massive improvement from what we've seen the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I know someone in the chat mentioned it as well. It's that the, the gelling period may be a little bit, a little bit more condensed because it is a familiar scheme with Brian Nielsen for a lot of these free agents. And a lot of these guys have played together previously with Anyamata and Ellis. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not completely new. Um, obviously the Falcons players from the DMP system will have an adjustment period to the new defense, but, um, it may go a little bit faster, but again, I would, I would expect sloppy play to start the year and that's probably going to irritate a lot of fans, but I'm hoping by the time we get to, you know, October, November, that it's starting to come together. Um, and this team is starting to sort of get hot and I would always prefer, team to struggle in September and then steadily improve to when you get to December, you know, you're firing on all cylinders and getting, uh, and heating up for a potential playoff run, as opposed to the Dan infamous Dan Quinn, uh, start strong and quickly fall off a cliff, uh, <laughs> and then win three games at the end of the year to ruin your draft pick. But, um, that was, I, I enjoy that less, uh, that style. So hopefully won't have that going this year, but, um, yeah, it, well, I guess Jason Gaines did have a Scotty Miller take, so sorry, Jason, I missed that during the Scotty Miller discussion. Um, Jason says, not the biggest fan of the Scotty Miller signing. Uh, he did have that great year in 2020, but I'm concerned because of the production the past two seasons, which is a red flag. Don't know that he's an upgrade over Zacchaeus um, and doesn't give you the value on special teams. Yeah, that is one thing that Miller hasn't really played much special teams. I, I think he played a little bit last year. Yeah, he was, he was there one of their gunners last yeah. year. So he, he does have that flexibility that if the, if the Falcons do add more receivers that, you know, push him down the depth chart, he, that he can still contribute on special teams. Yeah. I think last year was like the first time he really played special teams, yeah. but um, he has done it. So I, I don't think it's impossible for him to play it. And um, I, I know that the Falcons would sort of have signed him with saying like, you know, we're hoping you can win a big role, but are, you know, you're willing to play special teams, right? And he's probably saying yes. <laughs> I mean, I imagine. Uh, I don't. I don't think the Falcons let anyone off the hook for special teams, uh, except for a few guys. I mean, they probably have Kyle Pitts running down the field if they could. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Scotty Miller is going to big time the Falcons to be like, no, I'm I'm too big to play special. I'm teams. above Marquise Williams special teams <laughs> units. Okay, excuse me. You, you know, know who I, I am. <laughs> I learned a lot from Antonio Brown, and it is yes. basically to be the biggest diva on the planet. <laughs> yes, hopefully that hasn't rubbed off on Scotty Miller, but uh, I don't think so. We like so. the route running, uh, but not the attitude, yeah. Yes, exactly. Hopefully got some of those aspects, not all of them. Um, yeah, just in general, I mean, we, we've touched on it, but how, do you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you feel better about the team after the initial wave of free agency than not, but like, have your expectations for this season changed? I mean, how do you feel overall? Like, do you think seven and 10 again, or you think this is a team that's going to be threatening for the NFC South? Do you think this is a team that's should be a worst to first, you know, trendy pick or, uh, what do you, what, you know, obviously we haven't had the draft yet, so I'm not going to hold you to it, you know, but just sort of thoughts at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of was expecting, going into the offseason with my expectations for what they would do and what, what areas they would improve, namely the defense and, and maybe, you know, solidifying the offensive line and adding maybe a couple of playmakers at the wide receiver position, you know, I, they're, they're, they're meeting my expectations, but I probably 
contrary to popular opinion, had probably higher expectations than a lot of people would assume. But I don't know if that's going to translate in this team winning a ton of games. Like my projection for pretty much all the teams in the NFC South is basically what we saw last year, which was probably the first place team wins nine games. The last place team wins six games. And it will just basically all these teams, whoever is the healthiest, whoever, you know, gets a, a, a nice stretch of, of luck in the middle of the season and rattles off a couple of wins will probably be the team that jumps to the front of the line there. Um, and so, you know, this will be a, a Falcons team along with several of these other teams that will probably that week 18 game, whoever they wind up matching up, a couple of these NFC South games will be a win in your in type of performance. And we'll just sort of have to see how well, and I, I think a lot of it rests on, you know, just how much, and how many strides Desmond Ritter takes as a quarterback, because I think we, you know, believe that the supporting cast around him should be solid enough that if, you know, he can put together again, like I think all he has to be is just kind of like a league average quarterback, maybe slightly better than that. You know, if he's the 14th best quarterback in the league, that's to me a huge win for the Atlanta Falcons um, based off of how, Everybody in the media talks about Desmond Ritter. Like they seem to think he's like the thirtieth best quarterback in the NFL. So thirty second um, on some rankings. Yeah. You know, so like <laughs> I, I just sit here and I go like, you know, if he's in the middle of the pack, like again, that may not result in the Falcons winning. You know, 10, 11 games. I've seen a lot of people be throw out you know ten plus wins, and I, I certainly think that's possible. But I think you know at this point, we're going to need the Falcons to catch some breaks um in order for that to and so i'm not quite there yet but maybe as we get closer to the summer and training camp as we get the full picture of the season i'll feel a little bit more optimistic about how this thing is going to come together but yeah i i think you know we'll see this team get to or break 500 this year um and that was my expectations were what i thought the team was striving for uh coming out of last year uh, and, and be in a position to where they can make the playoffs and and potentially win the division and host the playoff game. And, you know, given how terrible the NFC is, like that means you got a pretty good chance to, to win that game and make it to the second round of playoffs. I don't know if, if I quite buy that they're they're going to get beyond that point, but I think based off of what they've done this offseason, I feel like they are definitely on track and, and arguably ahead um, on track in terms of reaching that goal. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think right now, like, my sort of mid-level expectation would probably be, like, around 9 and 8. Like, just, like, I think they will they will get above 500. Um, but what does that translate into? You know, is it, like, a very frustrating 500, like, 9 and 8? Or is it, like, uh, struggle early but finish strong 9 and 8? Because that's a very different conversation. Because if they, if they are winning the division at 9 and 8, which is very realistic in this NFC South, um, they could be a hot team who's played their best football in December. Uh, and then, you know, it's like, Oh, nobody wants to play the Falcons right now. Um, they've, they've got it together. Um, but I mean, making the playoffs, like no matter what, I think that would be something that would be a feather in the cap of this regime. And I'm sure that's what they're targeting. I mean, getting a playoff win obviously would be huge. Um, but I think anyone that's like having expectations for more than this team, like making the playoffs, maybe getting a playoff win, is probably going to be disappointed, and I would caution you to sort of pump the brakes a little bit. But you know, that would be a, that would be well on time, and and would probably cool off a lot of the the more like negative perceptions of, of fans of this regime. That I think it's pretty clear that 
they're trying to win uh and they're they're done with the whole we're rebuilding this now they're going to be patient about it i think this is going to segue into our next topic um but they've i think done this slow and steady they've built this thing consistently they haven't always made the right decisions and i'm sure we'll you know have some some misses to look back on from this free agency class of course but i think uh you know, the Desmond Ritter conversation is one that is really important. Um, and this announcement uh, that Desmond Ritter is the starter has ruffled a lot of feathers. It's certainly pissed off the national media. <laughs> uh, it's led to a lot of sour grapes. Uh, a lot of people sort of just blasting the Falcons entire offseason because they're not going after Lamar, which I get the allure of Lamar Jackson. We've talked about it at length. I wouldn't have been upset if they decided to pull the trigger on that because Lamar's a great player. would be a lot of fun. Uh, they've also made it very clear that they're not interested, at least at this point, and basically so has every other NFL team. So, you know, I, I feel like the Falcons get blasted because I don't know. There's a lot of teams that could use Lamar Jackson, but the Falcons did come out and say that Desmond Ritter is the starter that is the plan right now is for Desmond Ritter to to enter the season as the starter this is not binding you know obviously things can change unexpected things happen whatever but at this point it sounds like Desmond Ritter is going to be the starter what do you think about that announcement and do you think that the Falcons are still looking into quarterback in a serious way outside of Ritter or is this actually the the plan is to give Ritter a fair chance and then evaluate you know at the end of 2023 if they need to make another move yeah i don't i don't think to answer your second question i don't, I don't think the falcons are going to add another quarterback i think we'll, we'll, you know they did a visit with anthony richardson we might hear more of them visiting with other quarterbacks in this draft class but i, I think it's more just doing their due diligence um and you know especially if one of these guys gets taken by the carolina panthers like you, you kind of want to you know get a little bit of insight in, into that guy that you might be playing, you know, multiple times for the next five plus years. Um, and, you know, the reason I come to that conclusion is if you look at since Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have been on the job, the Falcons have never carried more than three quarterbacks on the roster, right? Whenever they brought in a fourth guy, it was because Mariota went on IR or Felipe Franks was on the COVID list or something like that. Like, so I just don't think they're interested in, in carrying four quarterbacks and especially given this year, this summer, you're going to want to give Desmond Ritter as many reps as possible. Bringing in another quarterback is just going to steal reps away from him. That is just not going to benefit your football team in any major way. So I think they're going to be content to roll with Ritter, uh, Woodside, and, and um, you know Heineke probably through training camp and, and probably you know keep Woodside on the practice squad, and that will be their threesome um, for the, the season. And you know for all of you guys that are – praying and hoping that Felipe Franks will never take another snap at quarterback. I think you, you've gotten your wish yeah. this offseason, so that is something to celebrate. But as far as, you know, the announcement with Ritter being the starter, like, this feels like this has been, yeah. you know, the thing, the building thing for months now, and, you know, I know a lot of people during the season were like, oh, they're not playing Ritter because they don't believe in Ritter, and I never really bought that. I just always thought the Falcons' plan was, you know, similar to what they saw with Richie Grant and Jalen Mayfield uh, the, the year prior where Jalen Mayfield, they kind of threw to the Wolves before he was ready. And, you know, who, we'll see what happens with the rest of Jalen Mayfield's career. But would it shock you, Kevin, if, if he's not on the Falcons roster this year? No, <laughs> it would not. So and then you look at Richie Grant and, you know, 
all his rookie season, everybody was complaining, like, why isn't Richie Grant playing? Well, you know, why isn't Richie Grant playing? And now he's probably going to be a starter and, and, you know, one of the better players on the Falcons defense. And, you know, the expectation is that, you know, he'll blossom with this addition to Jesse Bates. And so I think the Falcons learned from that. And we're like, we're not going to rush Desmond Ritter until we think he's ready. Uh, now, you know, obviously you, me, and, and pretty much every other Falcon fan probably had a different opinion on when they thought Desmond Ritter should have been ready or uh, when they were just basically don't care <laughs> enough about Marcus Mariota. So he better be ready right now. But like, I, I think the Falcons plan all along has been that they were going to roll with Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, as you said, Lamar Jackson, certainly, you know, you understood why a lot of people were connecting those dots. And I certainly would have understood if the Falcons did decide to go all in on him. I think a lot of that stems from people, you know, the perception of their decision to pursue Deshaun Watson. And so it seemed like if you were just connecting dots, well, if you were willing to do that with Deshaun Watson, of course, you'd be willing to do that for Lamar Jackson. And, you know, I think a lot of different factors have caused the Falcons to, to to come off that opinion. I just think they're in a different mindset. They're trying to build the roster as opposed to focusing on the quarterback. Uh, you know, the money aspect of Lamar Jackson, I think, is probably a bigger part than, you know, seemingly the national media seems to want to uh, admit, you know, because I, 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 I know a lot of national media people like, well, whatever Lamar wants, pay him because he's that good. And I get why people have that opinion, but. I don't think NFL teams see it from that perspective. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, like, you know, I've said it on Lockdown like Falcons. Like, I don't think Lamar Jackson is a victim in this, but like he is caught up in a proxy war between the NFL and the NFLPA when it comes to fully guaranteed contracts. And so, you know, it's like that's that's what this is all about. And that's why Lamar Jackson, his interest has gone cold. You know, I, this is my personal opinion, but I, I do think if Lamar had an agent, he probably would have gotten paid two years ago and he probably would have a job right now if he had an agent, but that's just my personal opinion. So I I like the the choice Desmond Ritter. Um, I'm clearly higher on Desmond Ritter than most of the national media is, Um, you know? So uh, I feel like that choice is not as terrible a choice as seemingly what a lot of people that, you know, cover the NFL seem to think it is it's certainly a risky decision it's a gamble by no means um but you know i I do think it's a better bet than a lot of people seem to want to give the falcons credit for so i'm looking forward to seeing what he can do you know with a full offseason getting reps with the ones i'm not again i'm not expecting him to be elite by any means but i'm expecting him to be a solid nfl starter and as i said like if he's the 14th best quarterback in the NFL, that to me is a huge win for the Atlanta Falcons. And and certainly, you know, we'll have some receipts for, for some of the people that were, you know, saying this is a terrible choice by the Atlanta Falcons. So I, I look forward to that day. That That's, you know, I'm a petty person, Kevin. I think you know that <laughs> yeah, about yeah. me. So, you know. I, that's why we I'll, love I'll, you. I'll, yeah. I'll take some screenshots, you know, and I'll be Get ready to, to, to throw those out there in December and January. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, I mean, we see very similarly eye to eye on Desmond Ritter. We've talked about it before. Um, I was super high on him coming out. Uh, I was high on him the year before he came out. I was like, oh, day day, day two, I'd be interested, Desmond Ritter. And then he went back to school, which is probably smart because he had a great season and took Cincinnati to the college football playoffs. So um, I, I think the draft, where he ended up getting drafted, really skews opinions to, to kind of a ridiculous extent. 
I think people ignore that he was the second quarterback drafted and focus entirely on the fact that he was taken in the third round. I, I'm shocked he lasted that long. I thought there was like late first buzz. I thought the Falcons were going to have trouble getting him in the second round. He ends up falling to 75 or wherever it was. I'm getting picks mixed up with this year too, but, um, it ends up being, you know, third round pick. And now all of a sudden he's written off entirely. It's like, Oh, well, he's a third round pick. So he's not going to amount to anything. We can move on. Like why would any team bother starting the player they drafted in the third round? If this was any other position, he would be expected to be a, a big contributor. Uh, you'd be expecting a lot from that player, but because it's a quarterback, it's all of a sudden like, well, why are they wasting their time with this? Nobody like, you know, that why aren't they going out and, and, trading for somebody or why aren't they interested in getting and trading up into the top three to get, you know, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, which, you know, Anthony Richardson, I could, I could hear the arguments because he's a one of one athlete, uh, an elite arm talent. Desmond Ritter, also an excellent athlete, not an elite arm talent. I, his arm is above average. I think it's good. It's not like crazy. Uh, but you really don't need to have elite arm talent to be a good NFL quarterback. Like it helps. (laughs) It's always nice. Uh, But I mean, look at Tom Brady. That man does not have elite arm talent and has not had it maybe ever. Uh, (laughs) Joe Burrow is another example. Yeah. Uh, If you are smart and you have a nice release and you have good mechanics and all these things, you can get plenty of power behind your throw to get to hit your receiver deep. And that's all you really have to do in the NFL. You don't really have to do some Mahomes level falling over and like throw it, chucking 70 yard bombs down the field. As fun as that would be to watch, that's not a requirement to be a good NFL starter. And honestly, you're not, you're going to really struggle to replicate one of one players like, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I I think if you're going out looking for Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, you get Zach Wilson. Uh, <laughs> I could have told you that, Jets, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> going back to you know quarterback takes from years ago, but yeah, it, I just think it, it, it's it's a shame because I think Ritter's a much better prospect than he's being treated as. I mean, uh, people are accusing the Falcons of like tanking or like racism, <laughs> which Desmond Ritter's biracial, by the way, so that is very not cool. Uh, and like it, it just seems like a lot of sour grapes around Lamar. And like, I, if you wanted the Falcons to pursue Lamar, you're not wrong. Like, I don't think there would have been any, like if they were interested in Lamar and they were looking into it, I wouldn't feel angry about it or upset. I would think it would be totally justified, but everything this team has done for the past three years, aside from Deshaun Watson, which I don't expect the national media to understand the nuance of that pursuit like Atlanta media does. So I'm not really holding them to that standard, but also it has been reported. We all know who pushed the Deshaun Watson thing and it wasn't Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. And if you eliminate that from the equation, their way of approaching the quarterback position has been consistent for the past three years. They passed on Justin Fields at four. They didn't really make, they they went with Desmond Ritter in the third round last year. And then this year, they brought in a veteran backup in Taylor Heineke and are handing the keys to Desmond Ritter. This is not a team that's trying to spend big at quarterback. And I think they got a steal in Desmond Ritter, even if he just becomes an average starter for a third-round pick. I mean, that's a tremendous steal. He's making less than $2 million 
a year on his rookie deal for the next three years. Uh, they have the opportunity to do what fans have been clamoring for them to do for years, which is build a team with a quarterback on a rookie contract. And then now that they have that, they're like, no, no, not that one. Like <laughs> get, get a different one. Like, no, 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 do it again. Like draft somebody else, you know, no, not, not Ritter, like not a third rounder. Like you need, and like Ritter might not work out. He doesn't have the ceiling of some of these guys that are at the top of this class. I mean, Bryce Young, special player, uh, CJ Stroud, really talented passer, Anthony Richardson, one of one athlete, Will Levis. I would have Desmond Ritter above Will Levis without question for those asking in this, in this quarterback class. Uh, but I also value production and winning and things like that a lot more than, uh, you know, raw arm talent. So, you know, I think people would probably find that a little bit controversial, but yes, I would have Desmond Ritter ahead of Will Levis. So I'm not considering Will Levis for the Falcons. Certainly. Um, I think he's, it, it's, it's interesting, I think, and it's thrown a lot of people off that they've committed so strongly to their third round pick, but like everything they've said since he was drafted checks out. Like when they drafted him, they're like, oh yeah, we, we have a lot of faith in him. We, we think he's going to be a part of our long-term plan. Then this year they basically hand the keys to him and they're like, yeah, he's our starter. And everyone's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, what, what are you talking about? Like, you can't do that. Like, well, this is what they said they were going to do last year. Like maybe they just happened to luck into getting him in the third round. You know, maybe it's, it's a little bit of luck there. Um, now clearly they would have been comfortable past. They were comfortable passing him in the second round. Um, so, you know, take away from that, whatever you want, but I don't know. It, it it just seems like a lot of sour grapes from a lot of people and a lot of sort of ignoring the team building strategy that they're clearly going for, which is we're going to go cheap at quarterback and to some, and to a certain extent wide receiver as well, which they've been other than Drake London, very reluctant to spend any resources at wide receiver, give out big contracts or anything like that. I mean, that could change, but, um, and really bolster the run game, bolster the offensive line, bolster tight end, and hope to God that the defense improves is basically the strategy, right? And clean up the cap, too. And that's the other side of the coin is if you go out, trade all your future draft capital for Lamar Jackson, and then sign him to a mega deal that's fully guaranteed, the whole entire cap mess that you just cleaned up, you're right back in it once again. And you're back to, and you're, you're going to be like the Saints, uh, making three, attacking three void years onto Derek Carr's deal to get him in the building. So, uh, <laughs> That deal's an abomination, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's some kind of Franken thing. I was looking at it today. Was, oh my god! Like, what is this? Uh, but you know not, that that deal notwithstanding, like, it doesn't seem to match what they've done. And everyone's just like, "Well, this doesn't make any sense." No, it only doesn't make sense if you're not paying attention. Like, it's not my fault. You went into the off season thinking, "Well, Atlanta has to get Lamar, or that it's a failure." And Atlanta has been like, we were never trying to get Lamar. That was you, you know, and it's probably my fault too, because we talked about it. I mean, we talked about it during the season. We talked about it in the off season as like, oh, this could be interesting. I did say it was like a 5% chance at best. So if you guys took that and ran with it, that's on you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I get where you're coming from, Kevin. And I've talked about this a little bit on Lockdown Falcons. I, I, I think it just really stems from, how the national media and again i'm not trying to be one of these the mainstream media the you know i'm not trying to be one of those NFL people. media you know. <laughs> but 
I, I do feel like over the years, the national media has become so focused on the quarterbacks that basically it's like, do you have a quarterback? And if you don't have a quarterback, you might as well just never play another football game and you just might as well quit. And it's just like they just, you know, it, and it's all about in the, the way I, I termed it on, on Lockdown Falcons. It's about trying to join the club, right? Like you, you got to get in the club and you got to have a quarterback to get in the club. And if you don't have a quarterback to get in the club, like you're wasting your time and you're, you don't care about winning and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think that's a, you know, obviously we all recognize that the quarterback is the most important position on the football field. It is, it is the thing that drives the majority of team success. But I, the way that I think the national media talks about it, it's like, it's like 95% of your success is based off of who your quarterback is and 12 seconds of, of research of observation will tell you that that is not true. Um, and, you know, it's probably closer to like 60%, 95%. And I think in this situation, people are just baffled by that idea, as, as you said, like a third-round quarterback. But, you know, there's nobody currently in the NFL that's a starting quarterback that's a third-rounder other than Russell Wilson. And Desmond Ritter's not Russell. You know, like, and it's just like just this sort of dismissiveness of – you don't have one of the quarterbacks that we have anointed as a superstar. And so therefore, you know, you, you are purposely trying to tank as, as you said, and I, you know, obviously you, me, and most of the people listening or, or watching us talk right now don't agree with that narrative, but it has been very interesting to me over the last several weeks that to me, that's why you've, gotten so much you know negative feedback on the Falcons offseason and some of the choices that they've had just because they are coming from a place of if you're not getting that superstar quarterback you're you might as well just give up on the season and I think that perspective has trickled down to a vocal let's say minority of Falcon fans and they have believed in that as well and so they are frustrated with the the team's choices and it's fine like again Lamar Jackson would have been really fun to have right and while I I personally thought going all in on Lamar and paying him a huge contract was not the obvious home run that I think a lot of people portrayed it as it would have taken 12 seconds for me to get on board with that move if the Falcons had made that move because it would have been like, look, I, I think this is probably riskier than a lot of people think it is, but you know, you know, no risk it, no biscuit, as, as Bruce Arians would say. So, you know, I, like I, I would have, it would have made sense to me similar to you, but um, you know, I don't have a, any problem with the Falcons, you know, going the slow and steady rate. And, you know, I think the other part of this that is getting downplayed because it, again, I, I also don't think the national media is really picking up on this either, is that I, I think this era of, you know, the quarterback carousel that we've been experiencing the last couple of off seasons is not going away. That is, to me, is that's not unique to this season and last season where we saw a bunch of quarterbacks change teams. Lamar Jackson's probably going to play on the franchise tag in Baltimore and potentially be an option there. And then next year, you might be a Falcons team where you're looking at a situation where, oh, Desmond Ritter didn't quite live up to the expectations, and now we do feel like we're in a position to go out there and get Lamar Jackson. Kyler Murray's probably going to be on a trade block a year from now. Trey Lance is probably going to be on a trade block a year from now. Russell Wilson's going to be on a trade block a year from now. Ryan Tannehill's going to be out there. And next year's quarterback class is also 
con- conceivably going to be better. You know, everybody's like, oh, Anthony Richardson is one of one athlete, which is true. But like next year, Jaden Daniels and KJ Jefferson, I think a lot of people um, <laughs> are going to forget about Anth- how great Anthony Richardson was just like a year ago. Everybody was like, oh, Malik Willis is this one of one athlete. And now, you know, it's it's this cycle. And I, I just think it's a short sightedness from a lot of people that act like, oh, like, well, the Falcons don't get their quarterback now. They'll never get their quarterback. And I, I think that's going to be one of the interesting developments that we see over the next couple of years that this quarterback carrot, I, I think what you're going to see a lot more teams doing, which we've seen steadily increase over the last couple of years is if you're paying a premium for your quarterback and you're not the chiefs or the bills or presumably the Bengals once they pay Joe Burrow, I think a lot of these teams, as you've seen with Aaron Rodgers, with the Falcons, with Matt Ryan, you know, there's talk of the, the Rams moving on from Matt Stafford, you know, the Raiders with Derek Carr, all these quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams are realizing like there is power to having a competent quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, and I, I feel like the Falcons, contrary to the popular opinion of, of, you know, the big mainstream media, uh, are, are kind of ahead of the curve on this by rolling with Desmond Ritter. And, and I, I think, you know, assuming that Desmond Ritter lives up to our expectations and, and plays good football this year. You know, I think a lot of people will be potentially eating some crow, you know, a year from now. Yeah, I mean, I I think people look at what the Falcons are doing and slap a label of like, oh, well, they're not trying to win. Like they're not serious because they're not going all out to dump their entire future on one player. Um, And that's how it's been done before. You know, I, I think teams are probably looking at what happened with Russell Wilson and being a little bit worried about that. Now, Lamar Jackson is drastically younger and, you know, at this point, drastically better than Russell Wilson. But, you know, that same conversation does apply. Like, if if you miss, if you strike out, you're screwed for, like, three years minimum. Like, the, the Denver Broncos do not have recourse for getting out of Russell Wilson's contract for many years. Um, and, of course, the draft capital is gone, too. So... You're committing to that player, and if you miss, then you're cleaning house, and the team is in the dumps for years. Uh, so they don't think about the downside. It's that if you don't go all in, you're not serious. But what about the the what's the downside with Ritter that they have a bad season? They've had bad. They've had, they've been seven and ten the last two years. Like. It doesn't, that's not that bad. I mean, it's not great. It would annoy me. It would annoy you. It would annoy fans. But like the floor of this team with Desmond Ritter is probably no worse than Marcus Mariota last year, seven and 10. I could sit through a seven and 10 season. It's not that bad. The upside is that you have a average to potentially above average or better quarterback on a rookie deal for two more years at like less than 2 million. And you look like a genius. Um, and you, I mean, you go into next year with like another 60 million, 70 million in cap space. And that could be the season where you're like, now we're going all in. Ritter's good enough for us. Now we're going to get a first round pick. We're going to, you know, potentially trade for some high level veterans and, and spend down. And we're going to now act like the contender that we think we are. Or Ritter isn't it, right? They have that mediocre season. They're probably picking in the top 10 again. And you still have all of your picks and all of your money to go out 
and get that quarterback next year. And you know one way or another whether Ritter is a good backup, nothing, whatever. Uh, and you still have the ability because you have all of your picks. You maybe have as much as an extra second rounder from the Calvin Ridley trade. And if Ritter does fizzle out badly, like you're probably picking in the top 10. So it's not going to be all that hard to to orchestrate a trade. I mean, the Panthers got from 8 to 1. You know, it's not... It's not that hard. I mean, you have, you have to be willing to give up the assets, but, like, it's doable. They could go out and go to one for Caleb Williams or Drake May next year. Uh, but it's, it's like, it doesn't preclude them. They're not really committed to Ritter beyond this year if he doesn't work out. You're not, you're, you're committing for one year to see what happens. You're, this, I think people just fundamentally don't understand where the Falcons are, like, in, in process. They're like, oh, this is year three of Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. They need to win now or they're getting fired. And like for most staffs, that would be the case. But let's be honest. It hasn't been that bad, first of all, for these two. It's not like they've been putting out a terrible product every Sunday like some coaches um, and getting fired in their first year like some coaches. It has been on like a, a slow and steady incline. It hasn't been great. Uh, and this is year three where it's like, okay, we need to start winning. But I think a lot of people are thinking that the pressure is on for them to now flip the switch and become this contender when really, I think the pressure is on for them to take a step forward, compete for the playoffs. Probably the expectation is that they make the playoffs. But other than that, I think this is still like a step up the ladder and there's still one more step to go before it's like, okay, now we need to be perennial playoff contenders because this is all coming together. And like, I think people think that the Falcons in 2023 are where, like they're treating them. I think like we should be treating them in 2024 where next year, I think the Lamar thing would probably be a lot more like realistic because it's like, okay, we've spent money. We've brought in multiple draft classes. Guys are coming together. This team is probably we should know if this team is a quarterback away or not at that point. Uh, and then it's like, okay, well now we know if we add Lamar to this, it should be, you know, Super Bowl or bust, whatever. Right now you add, you added Lamar to this at the beginning of the off season. And it's like, well, they were seven and 10 last year. I like the moves, but like, we haven't seen any of these guys play together. All these new pieces, like they're probably making the playoffs, but I think everyone's saying like, oh, if they added Lamar, now they're an NFC contender. It's like, well, that, you don't think that's a lot of wishful thinking? Like, I mean, sure, it would be exciting and fun and Lamar's great, but like, I think, it, like if you if you just swapped Ritter for Lamar right now, everyone would say A-plus offseason, they're Super Bowl contenders. But like, does it move the needle for this team that much this year? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and then it, it hamstrings you to improve this team going forward. You're not going to have first round picks for years. You might, you probably wouldn't have a first round pick this year. Um, and you don't have money either going forward. So I don't know. It's complicated. I, I get the allure of Lamar. I know you do too. We're not trying to trash anyone that was interested in Lamar, but uh, it's time to move on. <laughs> and we're not going to be able to move on, unfortunately. Uh, we're probably going to have this conversation about three more times, but. I yeah, think we have covered a lot of ground. If if you if you guys have made it this long, you should understand fully the situation 
and our opinions on it, but I'm sure we'll get asked about it next week. So, <laughs> well, but, it just uh, gives you yeah. more opportunities to basically say the same thing a different way, right? You just it's just creative creativity and whatnot, right? <laughs> just change the wording, you know. Uh, we could probably farm this Lamar thing for at least another month. Uh, I would really like them to, for there to be more buzz in like June when there's literally nothing happening. That would have been the perfect time for Lamar buzz, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, by then, it's probably going to have completely died down for, for Atlanta, sadly. So, um, Aaron, always appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Uh, guys, he's Aaron Freeman at FalcFans, uh, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, also contributor at thefalcoholic.com. Aaron, anything you're working on you'd like to plug for the people? No, you know, I'm going to spin Locked On Falcons into, you know, going after the mainstream NFL media, you know, I can... <laughs> get my Fox news on, you know, locked on uh, mainstream media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of Falcon fans that would, would really enjoy that type of content. Like, they, you know, NFL.com will never tell you this, but I'm going to, you know, like, so um, we'll, we'll get some mileage out of, out of this. Yeah, yeah. Counterculture. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Definitely check out locked on Falcons. Talked a, a little bit more about Calais Campbell on today's episode talked about my thoughts on uh, what this means for the Falcons draft selection at eight um, on that episode. And uh, yeah, go, go check it out on your preferred podcast platform, YouTube, elsewhere, all that stuff and more. Absolutely. Check that out guys. Locked on Falcons. Very nice program. If you're looking for daily coverage, you know, we don't do daily coverage here. We do like two to three a week. So I appreciate Aaron carrying the torch of the daily coverage over there at Locked on Falcons. Uh, also, uh, when he does write stuff for the Falcoholic.com, uh, it's top notch. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that when it does post. Uh, and yeah, I uh, really appreciate your time. As always, guys, I'm Kevin Knight. F Alcoholic Kevin, uh, please do like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. We appreciate all like 250 of you hanging out with us tonight on a random Wednesday. Uh, terrific. Love you guys. Uh, if you listen to the podcast audio, leave that five-star review. Really help us out. Appreciate that. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely check out the show. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Falcoholic live for access to exclusive perks like early podcast episodes add free versions of all the episodes exclusive q a's and more coming uh down the pipe uh including uh an exclusive patron giveaway during the draft party show uh and we're gonna have more details about that coming soon so definitely get involved with that check out the community discord the link is in the show description also cycling in the little middle graphic here which just came up now very conveniently um go in there chat with your fellow falcons fans uh yeah, guys, really appreciate it. Uh, we are still looking for our initial advertisers. We're going to be starting that up next month. So if you're interested in advertising here on Falcoholic Live and or the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast, you can email me directly, falcoholiclive at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, we're, we are definitely looking forward to getting that started. I already have some, some interesting uh, stuff in the works there. So stay tuned for that, guys. But once again, uh, for Aaron, for myself, thank you guys so much for watching. And we will see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. Until then, guys, have a great night. See ya.